church. Come on, let's clap. It's good to be in God's house. Hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us today. And we always like to take a moment at the beginning to thank uh, those who are with us for the first time, those who are joining us online. Thank you for joining us today. Um, We don't want to take it for granted, and uh, we want to show you some love. So let's show some love to everyone who's here for the first time. Grateful that you're with us today. Hey, let me just talk to you. Let me just talk to the True North family. If you're part of this family, let me just speak to you for a moment about some housekeeping things. Can I do that real quick? Um, first and foremost, know that the, we do have the five services that are coming up next weekend that are going to be our Christmas services. And I want to mind, remind you that there will be no morning Sunday services. Everything will be re- redirected to that one Christmas evening service. But in addition to that, um, I don't want us as a family to... Um, use this season as a reason to not invite people to hear the gospel of Jesus. We are blessed uh, to have such an incredible production and creative team, which enables us to broadcast to thousands of people every week. And we believe that thousands will come to know Jesus um, coming into this weekend. So do your part, take the invitation that you have. If they can't find a seat in one of our services because we have the restrictions we have, make sure that you tell them they can view it online so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus proclaimed to them. In addition to that, I want you to know that if you sign up for one Sunday and you've been inviting a family member or friend for 10 years and they say yes um, and you need to sign up for another one, we're not going to chase after you and say, how dare you sign up for two services. Um, it's our heart that people hear the message of Jesus and the message of hope in a season like this. So um, do what you can to impact your world. I, I, let me leave you with this thought. Um, you're seen more than you know. And I suppose you, when you understand that you're seen by him, it helps you carry the weight of being seen by men. But if you ever get those two reversed, life will be hard. Know that you're seen by God. And when you're seen by God, it doesn't matter who sees you. And man, you understand that you can be influenced. You are an influencer by God. And know that people are watching you. It shouldn't be a burden to you. It should be a blessing to hear to you that people are watching you. And in your mind, you can know that, God, I'm trusting in you. And I know that things aren't perfect in my life, but I know that if I trust you, I can have influence to help people find a relationship with you. God's going to use you in this season, church. Um, In addition to that, I want to let you know that we have our second masterclass that's coming up. And uh, we had our first masterclass. It just is, it's actually nearing its completion. Um, True North College is just finished. It's, well, nearing and entering into the finals week, but we're just finishing up our first semester. And the connection, or I would say the bridge between the college and the church is what we've offered as the masterclass. You get the opportunity to sit in. Um, The cost is $20 for this Masterclass that'll be happening in the spring. I want to encourage you to be part of that. Within that course, this semester in the spring, the masterclass is going to be covering the topic, or I should say, the doctrine of salvation and the church, taught by Dr. John Mannion. And this is a powerful 16 week course. And I love the description that uh, Doc has put in this to understand more fully the most helpful solution to your most hopeless problem. And within this, course, you're going to be studying what, it, what the life of redemption really looks like and learning how to enjoy all the advantages of living in an incredibly different kingdom. And I want to encourage you to be part of that. There are seats available to you. And I want to brag just for a moment on Doc Mannion. How many love Doc Mannion as part of our team here? Um, 
and uh, we are blessed, so blessed here. He just uh, released, it's not his first work, and it's uh, probably the first of, well, it is the first of many to come, but he just released um, this resource, Nuggets of Truth, um, and it is a powerful resource. We were laughing as a staff because he cut um, a ton of stuff out of it, and it's 515 pages. Um, but I want to encourage you, for, for those of you like, oh, that's not me. No, this is a devotional. It's a daily devotional for you to, to enjoy each morning and to read through, but in the way that you read it, you will be so equipped in understanding not only the dynamics of theology and the expressions of it, but you'll fall in love with Jesus in a powerful way through reading this resource. Um, he has a great publisher, so it's available um, online and Amazon and all those ways to do it. But can we just show some love to him and congratulate him on the completion of that incredible resource? And then in addition to that, we always, I want you to know we have available the resource written by our founding pastors, Pastor Eric and Joanne Arrows. It's a powerful resource that they felt really um, called by God to write as it pertains to family. And uh, so I want to let you know that's available as well. I suppose if everyone on staff keeps writing resources, we'll have to open up some type of little area for you guys to purchase them. But I just want you to know we're in a season right now as, as believers where uh, the sense of urgency has been heightened. And I feel like God is trying to make known as best he can that the days for just going through the motion are over. Going through the motions are over. And there, there, there is a season and a time where the believer needs to recognize that I've been called for such a time as this. I want you to know that what God's going to call you to, you may not feel equipped to accomplish. You may feel that God has poorly selected the person to use. I can't tell you the amount of inadequacies I felt when I really felt that God called me to ministry. I actually laughed about it. And then it wouldn't leave. And I said, this is a sick joke, really. God, of, of all people, like to, to be part of the church and to lead, really, is it, is it me? And, and I found out that God chooses us, not because we're perfect. He doesn't choose us because we've never messed up, but it's in our brokenness that he chooses to display his perfection and his love and his righteousness and his grace and his mercy. He chooses to use us as vessels, conduits of his grace. I suppose that if we were to arrogantly go about this life of being a believer, we could often think that it's about us coming together and gathering as the saints or the children of God and saying, okay, what's in it for me? I'll tell you what's in it for you. You find life in Jesus, and then Jesus says, spend the rest of your life giving it away. <laughs> Put that as something. Come and follow us. What are we going to do? Persecute it? You're going to be hated, condemned, looked as crazy. You actually have convictions of, and belief systems and believe there's an absolute authority? Ha. You're going to be ridiculed and people are going to make fun of you? And what are we called to? To give your life away. <laughs> And that's exactly what the disciples did. Their experience with the gospel was so tangible. Their experience with the very expression of love and grace 
represented in the person of Jesus Christ. No death frightened them. No sickness. No level of persecution prevented them from living a life that honored God. Redirected all of the attention that they've ever received towards heaven. Use every gift and talent to advance the kingdom of God in spite of their own shortcomings and failures and insecurities. And God's method of advancing the gospel has not changed. (laughs) It's still the same today. He still chooses you. And I love, I don't know why we do this in, in environments like this, When I say that, you don't think I'm talking to you. (laughs) That's probably the other person. No, no. From heaven to earth, he chooses you. You. You're like, hey, we, my wife and I were just cussing at each other on the ride here. It's definitely not us. No, he chooses you. (laughs) No, my son's struggling with an addiction. No, he chooses him. He chooses us. And sometimes it's in our inability to recognize that he can still choose us. We spend a lot of life trying to figure out how to, have you ever, do you have a friend that you can't fake it around? Anyone have like friend or family? And the moment you start being someone you're not, you kind of get that look like, what the crap are you doing? Is that you? If you don't have one, find one. But that same friend they love God, will celebrate your change. They'll champion it. They'll let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do in you, which is change you, rewire you, do different things in you. It's not behavioral modification. It's not you trying to be someone you're not. It's not you trying to be a better person. Can I tell you something? Being a believer in Jesus is not about you being better. It's not. You need to get that out of your head because that leads to an ideology of you working to be the best you. This is not that. This is us coming broken before the feet of Jesus, surrendering all that we have to him, and in pursuing him, we live into the fullness of our own lives. You will find you when you find Jesus. But the only way that you'll walk in that purpose is if you actually do what he says. That's why why this is a conundrum to people who are blessed abundantly. When we're blessed abundantly, it's often difficult for us to conceptualize how God's best for us is to give away that which he's already given us. Because other people look at us and like, oh, you're so blessed. Do you know if you live in America and you're in poverty, you're still in the top 2% of wealth earners in the world. But yet we are restricted and confined in the reality of life here. And the tension sometimes pull us in all these different directions. And if we're not careful... The object of our focus is us trying to live our best life instead of living a life to give our lives away. 
One of them sounds absolutely radical, crazy, and insane. Hey, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I'm just going to give it away. Wow. Let me know how that works for you, you know? It's like it doesn't sound that good. But Scripture says if we seek to save our lives, we'll lose it. But if we lose our lives for the sake of Christ, we'll gain it. How in the world does that make sense? The paradox is, is that we desire to save our life, to build a legacy for ourselves, to obtain things, to acquire things, to leave things. And we say, God, you know the desires of my heart. And God says, I do. I wired you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So, all right, God, well, you know the desires of my heart. And he does. But what I've come to learn from God is that he will give them to you, give them to you, your desires, in ways that you never thought possible. He says, do you want life? Yes, God, I want life. Give yours away. Well, no, 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 no. I want life. Yeah, yeah. Give it away. No, God, I, we're saying different things here. God, I want life. I want it all. He says, yes, give it away. Okay, someone needs to help me, you know? Like, do you see that? And it's the flesh. The flesh says, no, don't do that. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. Don't give your life away. Don't do that. You'll regret it. But God says, if you want life, give it away. And there's something in believing truth that allows you to operate in a supernatural way. Listen, if your walk with Jesus doesn't have people around you looking at you and for any moment of their life look at you and say, hey, you're just crazy. Let's just think you're doing something wrong. <laughs> because faith is contrary to the things of the flesh. It's contrary to it. Faith says, I see this, but I do that. In the early church, people were, were contracting a, diseases that were deadly. I, I just love to be around the table of the early church. Well, what are you doing today? Well, I'm going to go outside the city walls. Well, why? I'm going to go help those that are dying of leprosy, but it's very contagious. If you get it, you'll die. I just... To live is Christ and to die is gain. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so I'll be an expression of the hands of Jesus. I don't know if our fight is different today. Our hearts are focused on Jesus, but our fight looks different. It's still a fight against principalities of darkness. It's a spiritual thing, but it attacks us in a different way. It attacks us by causing us to fix our eyes, not on the author and the perfecter of our faith, but fixing our eyes on the substance of things that the earth can offer us. And we do the good things that we're supposed to do in the dynamics of doing things in church. But God's not interested in you doing. He's interested in you being. When I am a child of God, I don't wonder what I should and should not do. What I do is a byproduct of who I first am. And if I am a son of God, this is how I live. If I am a daughter of heaven, this is how I live. And in a culture today where people are screaming for hope and direction, the church has the answer. We've been in conversation about legacy, legacy, leaving a legacy, a real legacy for, for generations to come. It's one of those questions that are so easy to look at your life and say, well, that's not me, that's someone else. Well, you will leave a legacy. 
And I'm going to do my best to help you leave a good legacy. I want to leave a good legacy. I want to leave a legacy that will outlast me. That when I'm gone, there will be demonstration of my heart and my commitment to build eternal things. And we're going to talk together today in the remaining moments we have in the next 19 minutes and 32 seconds. We're going to talk about five things, five things that legacy people do that other people do not. The first one is this. A legacy-minded person doesn't let God's blessing end with them. A legacy-minded person does not let God's blessings end with them. What does that mean? It means that you have a strong revelation that everything you have is from above. Now, some of us would agree with that and you'd say, Pastor, I absolutely agree. You would quote scripture and say to me, every good and perfect gift comes from above. You would say that God calls, gives us our gifts and talents as it says in the Old Testament that they're not even our own, that everything we have, and you would say it. But the truth is not necessarily having the revelation that everything comes from God, but that when you receive it from God, it doesn't stay with you. It passes through you as a conduit to someone else. Now, this is where the demonstration of faith comes into picture. When God blesses you with something, whether it's gifts or talents or skills or resources, he blesses you with it. It's in our flesh. And you're not strange if you're like this. You're like, oh, there's that person who always wants to live close-handed. No, no, that's in our flesh. Our flesh goes like this. Why? Because deep down we believe that everything we have we work for and we have obtained in our own strength. And if we don't look out for us, who will? It's all me. I got I to preserve myself and everything. For, so we, we often live life like this. When God calls us to live like, life like this, and we'll start arguing with God. We'll say, oh, God, that sounds really okay. Yeah. It's easy to say, God, like, you know, I got this, I got that, I got all these other things, and you want me to give my time, and you want me to bring a tithes to the church, you want me to give this, you want me to start building a leg. God, I, God if, I don't, if I don't start protecting the stuff that you gave, you know, God doesn't say hide it. The parable of the talents is a fascinating parable in Scripture because if you read it, you'll find that the one had fear of God but in a way that prevented him from walking by faith and began to operate in fear. And fear causes you not to live by faith. It causes you to do nothing with what you have. And she'll say, well, I guess I can't do anything. Why? Well, you might not get it again. Don't give it away. You may never get it back. Don't spend that time. You, 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 it might not be worth it. Don't step out in faith. It might, you might not be as talented as people say you are. Don't, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, you're fine where you're at. Don't become too involved in church. Then you'll be one of those weird Christian people, you know? Just be on the fringe and just smile and say, blessed, you know? You'll fit in perfect, you know? It's like, don't do that. No, you know what God said to the one that buried the talent that he gave him? He called him a wicked and lazy servant. Casts him out. And there's something in that context that says God's not expecting you to move mountains. He's asking you to believe that he can. And if you live a life that says, God, I believe you can do it, that which he's given you, you'll freely give to other people. And if you want to build a legacy, begin to take that which God's entrusted you with and give it away. Do you know the greatest thing you've been armed with under heaven? It's not your bank account. Some of you are like, thank the Lord. (laughs) 
It's the message of Jesus. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? We're getting ready to go into finals week in the college, and um, I suppose someone could walk into the class, and as I'm standing at the front getting ready to hand out the final, they walk in and then start to backpedal and say, whoa, 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 what is this? What's going on? What is it? Is that, a, is, it, is that the final exam? Whoa, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. What do you, and, you know, try to just disappear. Like Homer Simpson into that, you know, into the thing like that. He's like, no, 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 no. You can't pretend you didn't know. You've been here the whole time. It was being told to you and broadcast to you for 16 weeks on end. This is the final. You have papers on it. We studied it. We did all that work. You knew it was coming, but you did nothing to prepare. This is the essence of our time to stand before God. And this is the thing, when we encourage one another in the Lord, you know what we're doing? We're saying, hey, I want to encourage you to do what? Not to just hear it, not to just think about it, but to digest it and believe it. To to believe what? That you will stand before God one day. And I don't want anyone in this house to get before God and be like, whoa, 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 hold on, I'm not ready. This is real. Like he gave us all that and he's like expecting us to do something with it. Anyone else do that? You know, I don't want you to get to the moment. I, I often think, and I just close my eyes. Some of you say, like, what's my prayer life like? A lot of praying in my heavenly prayer language and a lot of just sitting quiet before God. Just meditating on, it, on his presence. That one day I'll stand in it. And I do not want to stand there and say, man, I... I wish I don't want that. And yes, I want to hear my Father in heaven say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And do you know that expression comes from that parable of the person stewarding well that which God had entrusted him. Faithfulness is an opposition to fear. So don't tell me I'm just being faithful as if it hides itself. Faith does not hide. Faith is not playing it safe. God didn't gather the disciples and say, hey, guys, listen, this is the MO. Um, going to keep you safe. Nothing bad's going to happen. None of you will get crucified, stoned to death, martyred. It's the exact opposite. But in the midst of it all, he said, take heart. Why? For I have overcome the world. He's taking the focus of what is earthly, temporal, and shifting it to eternal. And if anything, our time together with God should, should take our eyes off the momentary, the temporal. For some of you, you walked in today with what feels like a mountain, issues of depression and anxiety, loss of job, marital issues, issues with your kids, and it seems too much, you should walk into the presence of God in tears maybe because of the pain, but tears of joy knowing that it is nothing for God. It's nothing for God. And that even if he calls you to endure that for a moment, joy will come in the morning. Because his mercies are new every day. His love towards us is new. Can you say amen? Amen. The second thing. A legacy-minded person sees generosity as a privilege. 
and not as an obligation. As a privilege and not as an obligation. When's the last time you had the opportunity to experience something that was just such a privilege? I remember um, one time someone offered me years ago tickets to an Eagles game in um, one of those uh, box seat um, the suites. And I've never been in one before and didn't know what to expect. And, and, uh, but I have to tell you, I felt, I felt quite privileged. I felt like, okay. So I was like, I'm going to the game. Oh, where are you sitting? I'm sitting in the suite, you know, like... <laughs> I didn't even know what it was, dead serious. I had no idea, but I just thought it was a big deal, you know? And I was like, yeah, I'm sitting in the suite, you know? And um, it was like a Monday night game, and because obviously I couldn't go on a Sunday and the way that the schedule was. And, and they said, hey, Pastor, I'd love to bless you and your wife. And Liza was so excited. And I never once, when I received that gift, was like, oh, here we go, you know? Where are you going? Pff, sit in the suite and watch the game. All I can eat, all I can drink, and if I drank there, you know, and it was like all that stuff, and it was like free. It's blessed. I never once was like, oh, geez, this is such, how long is this going to take? I can't, look at all those people freezing out there, and we're just in this warm little booth sitting in here. <laughs> wow, sucks to be them. You know, like I never once was like, oh, this is so hard. Just, do you know that's how people follow God? People follow God that way. Do you know what I know when I see people like that? You don't know Jesus. You're following out of obligation to fulfill something as an expectation before God so that you can earn maybe not even the love of God, but the respect and admiration of maybe your family because that's what your family expects of you. You don't follow someone who's given their life for you like that. It's kind of, you got that, like, that weird, awkward skip behind Jesus. You know, it's like, you know, I, d I don't want to miss a step. Don't want to miss a step. Why are, you why are you so passionate about being in God's house? Where else would it be? That's why David said, I'd rather be a doorman in your house. A doorman. Stand there. Welcome to church. Than a thousand elsewhere. So you're like, well, David was crazy. David was crazy. No, he knew God. And he knew the love that God had for him. Even in his brokenness. Even in his sin, he's like, man, God loves me. And that's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. Why? Because that's where you belong. That's, this is where we belong as family. With one another. Encouraging one another. And pursuing Jesus. Legacy-minded people see generosity as a privilege and not as an obligation. What an honor it is to walk with God. Amen. I just, you know how we know that our, our challenge is different than other ages before us and times is if someone came up to you and said, tell me the best experience of your life to date. I'm convicted by this, by the way. Like, I don't know, imagine someone saying, hey, just tell me the best thing that ever happened to you. Boom. How many people in America would say my encounter with Jesus Christ? It's casual and common. So it causes us to look at it with dishonor and disrespect. And we don't carry it in a, 
in a way that I believe often in my own life that is honoring and pleasing to God. And I'm not portraying this on you. I'm talking from my own convictions. God, help me see that the greatest thing that I've ever received under heaven is to walk with Jesus Christ. The greatest thing I've ever received. And out of that flows all these other blessings of my spouse and my children and the church and the family together. But I'm on purpose to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. And I believe as we do that together, you'll run head on to your purpose and the desires of your heart. Do you know the desires of your heart and the plans of God are not in opposition to one another? I believe that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And when God calls us to pursue something, he's not like, boy, they're going to be so disappointed when they arrive. (laughs) He's going to say they're going to have the revelation and realize that when they get there, they knew that what I was instructing them to do was not for their lack or for them to experience misery was for their benefit and their good. Legacy-minded people understand sacrifice. No one makes a difference without giving up something. No one changes the world or makes an eternal impact without counting the cost. Luke 17, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Jesus modeled this behavior better than anyone. He understood sacrifice. In John 15, 3, it says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus clearly teaches us that in the eyes of the Father, he doesn't look down and say, okay, how many times, how many times were you in Bible study this week? Okay. How many times you get to church? You know. Because he knows if you know the love he has for you, that's the byproduct of it. It's the byproduct of it. It's like, why do you always go, man, there's hope and there's love there. That's why I want to be there. Why are you always drawn to worship? Because it's in worship that I, that I find a peace that I experience nowhere under heaven. There's something in it. And so at the beginning of all of it, it's always about finding Jesus and seeing him and recognizing him as the object of our focus and our pursuit. We don't just do stuff to do stuff. What we do should all give greater attention to who he is. Legacy-minded people understand sacrifice. They understand that it requires something of you to leave a lasting legacy. Number four, legacy-minded people have a sense of urgency. They don't live with panic. They're not worried. They're not stressed out. They're confident. Urgency is confidence in chaotic times. The reason I say that is because confidence is a display of control. When I say that you display that, it's not because you have control, it's because you know who does. And so I'm not panicked. God's still in control. The urgency that I carry is not that of the world. The urgency that I carry is the thing of God. Do you notice in everything that's going on in society today, no one talks about things of the Spirit? Not one. I have yet to read one article outside of my own intense study to search and find it about the detrimental effects of a society and a world shutting themselves in their homes. 
living with fear and anxiety and stress. I know what's happening because we have a pastoral staff that's on the phone all the time dealing with the results of a society separating themselves and pretending for a moment that all we need to do is to feed our, our, our physical bodies, but your spirit needs to be fed as well. And we have an entire nation that is being fed by news broadcasters. And I don't say this with disrespect to what they're communicating, but none of that, you will be anemic and weak and die spiritually listening to that nonsense. You need to be in the word of God. You need to feed your soul. Your spirit needs to be fed. And when you do that, God will strengthen you and give you a resolve in difficult seasons and to cause you to have a greater sense of urgency. Whenever urgency in the flesh comes up, it's always about fixing and redirecting and doing all these things. Do you remember when Jesus told the disciples what he was getting ready to do and they lost their mind? He says, hey, listen, the son of man will be sacrificed. We'll die. Like, whoa, Peter's like, remember when Peter lost his mind? He's like, no, 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 no. That is not what's going on. We prayed for, for, for God to, to establish Israel, to go against Rome and destroy everything and to have a new king, a permanent king, physically here representing Jesus. like, yeah, that's not the plan. <laughs> They're like, what? What is it? Complete opposite. I will lay down my life for those who persecute me, who hate me, who say they don't even need me and I will demonstrate my love towards them by giving my life for them in hopes that one day they would surrender their life to me to spend eternity in heaven with their heavenly father. God's plans of urgency are always different from ours, but a legacy-minded person always lives with a sense of urgency to advance the kingdom message of God. Can you say amen? amen. The final thing. Legacy-minded people understand the why behind their generosity. Legacy-minded people understand that it's not a transference of money from the things of my hand to what God wants to do in and through His church. That it's a purposeful operation of, of who I am. That I am called to, to be a generous person. And I understand the why behind it that God chose me to be a vessel. He chose to bless me, to give me things. I have to tell you, I, I, since we started True North Church, I've been around a lot of different people, but I'm blown away by the generosity in this house, by so many people who just generously give above and beyond the tithe and just say, you know what, I, I, I love what God's doing. And I want to continue to build and leave a legacy for generations to come here in this house. I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm encouraged by it. I'm motivated by other people's understanding of generosity. And I don't know about you, but I love to be around generous people. It makes me more generous. It causes me to loosen the grip of my closed fists and say, no, I want to be just like them. I want to live generously before God and know that everything I have is from heaven. And I want to release heaven to the people around me to impact people for Jesus. Listen, before you go today, some of you have to make a decision, a decision of what you'll do with Jesus. I say this often. I was raised in church and I wouldn't change it. I love the church and I understand it more and more. It's kind of the mystery of like marriage. You can love something 
so much as an organization or love someone so much, but in the same time you can have conflict and never feel so angry and frustrated and the paradox between the love and the frustration and all those things at times, you're like, I don't get it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but within it, there's a beauty of what God does. But one of the hard things for me was being raised in the church and becoming familiar with the routine of church and convincing myself, I know God, <laughs> I know God, no. What I knew was religion. What I knew was some scripture verses to appease the people around me and demonstrate that I knew what I was talking about. And I knew that we would gather and they would preach on this and they would talk like this and they would sing and then they would preach and all this. And I knew it. I knew it. You couldn't, you couldn't kind of catch me off guard. I always knew how to protect my, my, my Christianity kind of like, you know, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, you know, and... Can I tell you something? You cannot stand before God on the revelation of your parents or your grandparents. It must be on what you do with the person and the name of Jesus. What are you going to do with it? Some of you are like, no, no, I, I know Jesus. I'm not asking you if you know of him. I'm asking you if you know him. Have you surrendered your life to him? You're saying, what does that mean? It means giving up your life to follow Jesus. That's what it means. Scripture says that sin separates us from God. There's no way to fix it. The only way to fix sin is through the payment of, of, of sacrifice. And God knew that. He's a just God, a holy God, a perfect God. And there's only two ways to pay for sin, your sin. You pay for it for your, with, your, with your own life, or you let Jesus pay for it. And I'm afraid to tell you that there are many people in this world that are happy paying for their own sin, which is eternal separation from God. And people say, I can't believe you believe in a God that would send people to hell. No, my God devised a rescue plan to save people. But people in their own arrogance walk away from God and say, I don't need you. I plead with you today, if you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus, do so today. None of us are promised tomorrow. If you're watching online and you know that you need Jesus, today's your day. We're gonna say a prayer. And it's, it sounds like a simple prayer, but it's a significant one. And if you're in church, you'll have the temptation to be like, well, here's that moment. No, you have a purpose in this moment, by the way. Sons and daughters of heaven, you have a purpose in this moment to begin to pray for people who are apart from God. We have an enemy, an adversary. It's a spiritual one that keeps people from believing in the name of Jesus and becoming part of the family of God. But if you're here today and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I wanna lead you in a prayer. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he declares himself to be, you will be saved. The Bible sees you as a new person. The old is gone and the new has come, it describes it as. You're now a child of God. Come on, let's pray this prayer. Bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today, ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Come on, you're not going to say it alone. We're all going to say it together. Repeat this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe you died on the cross and were raised to life. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's clap for everybody. Come on, really clap for people. Hey, I want you to know something.
And sometimes you need to just be like, kind of like rattled to it. Some people have been praying for their children for decades of time. And it's in moments like this that their son or daughter raises their hand to say yes to Jesus. I can't tell you, there's, there's answer. There's prayers being answered every Sunday that sometimes have been being, they've been prayed for generations of time. And so don't ever look at this environment as casual. We're just like, oh, we can do without it. Now we're called to this. This isn't just something we do, it's who we are in Christ. And it's just a powerful moment. So listen, if you said yes to Jesus, man, congratulations. We're so excited for you. It's the best day of your life. This is the pinnacle moment of you really beginning life with Jesus. Why don't we stand to our feet? And listen, I have a gift for you. If you said yes to Jesus as you exit today, you're gonna see people in the foyer, they're gonna be waving these Bibles. They're not crazy. Well, they might be, but they're holding this Bible and uh, it's a gift from me to you. Uh, inside is material to help you on your journey with God. You were not called to do this life alone. I know, I don't know if it's an American pride thing. We're like, yeah, I got it. No, you really don't, you don't. Um, we need one another. And um, so we'll respect your privacy. If you don't wanna tell anyone, that's fine, but let me encourage you, tell someone you made a decision to follow Jesus. We'd love to bless you and encourage you in any way that we possibly can. If you're online, let them know that you made a decision to follow Jesus. We'd love to send you a Bible. There's pastors standing by, willing to pray with you and encourage you as well. And for everyone else, can I pray for you before you go? Stretch your hands to heaven, let me pray for you. Father, here we are before you, Father, not perfect. We're broken in many ways, God, but we acknowledge our need of you today. And Father, as we live in a chaotic world, let us not be overwhelmed by that which surrounds us, but let us find comfort and peace by who resides within us. And let us know that you've overcome the world, that, that you are before all, that in you we can have a refuge and a strength. And so Father, as we exit this building today, help us and let us be the church. Let us walk and live by faith and not by sight. Let us believe for the supernatural to transpire. Let us know and believe that you'll use us in a day of today, in a day when hope is needed and the message of the gospel is needed. God, use us as we go. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, reconciliation amongst marriage and family. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke anxiety and fear and stress. Your word declares you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So Father, I thank you that that's who we are and that's how we live. Father, we thank you for doing amazing things within us today. Be with us as we go. In your precious and holy name we pray, a faithful church said, amen. 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 God bless.